This is Jim Pruitt, and you listen to another episode of the Farm So Hard podcast. So I farm so hard, the employees want to find me, and then want to hire me. What's 100K to a guy like me? Could you please remind me? Farm so hard, this ain't easy. Working late nights, you best believe me. My grades can only go ace. Never want to see another B unless I'm Jay-Z. Farm so hard, let's get paid. What's good, fam? This is your host, Jim Pruitt, a.k.a. Farm D in the ED, and I'm bringing you another episode of the Farm So Hard podcast. Today, we have another special episode and it's something that's going to be applicable to many pharmacists, nurses, providers out there, especially if you're working in a trauma center. We're talking about open fracture antibiotics, and I have a phenomenal guest on that's going to go ahead and introduce yourself. How's it going, Jimmy? Thanks for having me on the show today. My name is Rob O'Connell. I'm an emergency medicine clinical pharmacy manager at SBH Health System in the South Bronx. Perfect. So I want to go ahead and get into some of the the speaking points and jump into the episode so we can make this really succinct. So can you just explain to us, like, why is this topic even important? Accidental injury is one of the most common causes of death in the United States for individuals, younger individuals, those like one to 45. Falls are one of the most common reasons for hospital admission for patients in the older generation. They account for up to 87% of all fractures that we see. Fractures are typically high energy injuries, uh, and we know that these are associated with increased risk of infection due to potential exposure to bone and deep tissue uh, and various environmental debris that might get in there. What I usually see is these people come in and they're like, it's a 13-year-old that was riding an ATV and it's a tip fit fracture and it's sticking out and they're just walking in just looking crazy. Like when I look at that, I'm thinking to myself, what antibiotic, what do I need to get involved in? But before I get to what antibiotic, one of the key steps that I always ask my trauma providers, I say, what class of fracture is this? And this is going to be the Gastillo and Anderson classification. And most people hear us say type one or grade one, grade two, grade three. Can you go a little bit and describe what is a Gastillo Anderson classification of open fractures? Yeah. So we're going back in, uh, in history here a little bit. This goes back to the, the 70, late 70s, early 80s, uh, where Castillo and Anderson kind of came out with this classification system uh, based on some of the data that they looked into as far as treatment and antibiotic selection uh, to kind of break down what, what we're potentially looking at here as far as what we need to cover. So they came up with this grade one, two, and three categories. Uh, one basically being our small, less than one centimeter once less than one centimeter injuries. These are simple fractures, minimal soft tissue damage, typically called like poke hole injuries where that, that fracture occurs kind of inside and the, the bone might just start to be sticking out. Now, as we go from grade one to two, we're talking about, we're talking about bigger injuries here, somewhere in the one to 10 centimeter. Uh, again, still relatively simple fractures uh, with maybe some moderate soft tissue injury. Uh, now when we get into grade threes, now we're talking about our, our really bad open fracture. Those ones where the, the skin is kind of blown wide open, bones are sticking out. Uh, and this is further broken down actually into A, B, and C. Uh, this, again, as we go up from A to C, we're talking about getting worse and worse to the point of grade C fractures being associated with vascular injury. These patients are going straight to the OR pretty much in, in all the cases. So in these cases of grade three, we're talking about Again, further soft tissue injury, likelihood of much higher rates of infection. Uh, we got to cover maybe for some uh, some broader spectrum uh, bugs here. 
when I went back and started reviewing some of the data, I had to like ask myself, why was it so important that we get these antibiotics in within a certain time frame? And the infection rates are a real deal. Um, I think we don't necessarily always understand the, the risk of infection with these injuries because we see it so often. So can you go and elaborate a little bit more on the infection rates for open fractures? Yeah, so you're going to see definitely some, some various ranges based on the studies and the literature that's out there. But for those grade ones, we're talking like pretty minimal risk, somewhere in the maybe even 0% to 2 3% risk. Type twos are seeing more like 5 to 10% chance of infection or so. Then we go up to grade threes. We're talking anywhere from like 12 to 50% of these patients are going to end up with some sort of infection if we, if we don't treat them uh, adequately and, uh, and effectively. So you're saying that if a grade three fracture, that potentially one in two patients, if we don't do a job, a good job as an ED pharmacist or pharmacist in general or as a team, one in two people can develop an infection. That's that's crazy there. Yeah, that the numbers are quite high. And I think, it, like you said, it's something we see all the time, uh, especially in a trauma center. Uh, we could kind of get into the flow of just moving these patients through the trauma bay and and getting ortho involved and surgery involved and, and antibiotics definitely get slipped through the cracks. Uh, it's something that I always make sure to talk with my new nurses about uh, for when I'm not there, uh, that, that this is, these patients need to be treated before they go upstairs, before they go to the CT scanner, before they go to x-ray for all those uh, films that we're going to get on these patients. The antibiotics need to get in, in the trauma bay. As we think about this, the antibiotics everyone usually hear you know, you're going to see ANSAF and stuff like that. And as you talk about the great threes, you know, there's been like a transition. And I think this is where we actually got involved with the, the brain and vein challenge, you know, when speaking about, you know, scratch the gent, let's get rid of seven for the open leg. And so what can you go back and just talk about what was the initial antibiotics we give and particularly looking at some of these great three options? Yeah. So this is, this is definitely, I think a hot area and, and kind of the, the, the crux of this talk here. Uh, you throw it back to the, the, the main guidelines that we follow, the EAST guidelines. Uh, these historically tell us that in, in grade three fractures, we're looking to give our, our ANCEF, our, our class one cephalosporin to cover those gram positive agents, and then add on something for gram negatives. Uh, and this has kind of always been taken as add on gen. Um, and now that's being challenged a bit here as we kind of move, move forward and, you know, aminoglycosides, I don't know about you, but. I don't like them. I don't it like just, to deal with them. I don't like to make them. It was such a hassle. At my previous shop, I actually had to get consulted for every grade three fracture. I had to run, get my personal mix of, of gent, go to the bedside, next compound gent for every patient that required it. And I've only worked at like large level one trauma centers. Like I don't have time to make gent for every single one because uh, Gastillo and Anderson did it back before my mom was born. You know, I just, <laughs> I, I just think it's, it's crazy that once we start to identify what extensive gram-negative coverage meant, we just went completely with Gent and nothing else because they used it back in the 70s. So I think this is interesting. This is what like really brought this to make it a hot topic because we just continued to do the same thing over and over and over again and never challenged it. Can you talk about what the East Gotland said for like just the other fractures and duration? Yeah, so duration is definitely another area that we want to talk about. Uh, so typically we're talking for our grade ones, 
we're looking at maybe 24 hours of coverage once that wound is closed up. Uh, now we know that we're, we're talking about bigger infections, bigger tissue injury, maybe some vascular injury for those grade, grade threes. Uh, and here's where we're likely continuing antibiotics for about 72 hours once we're clean and closed. We really went back through some of the history of open fractures. Then we talked about, you know, duration and infection rates. And I think most people just want to get to like, so what in the hell should we use? Like you're telling us that we're using the wrong antibiotics and that gent is bad and somebody's grandma going to come and stab me in the throat because they've been given gent since the 70s and 60s. So if we had to go through and say, all right, for a grade one and two, you know, no additional caveats, what would be like your preferred agents, your, what do you have for severe beta-lactam allergies and then so forth? Grade one and twos, I mean, we're, we're pretty much sticking here with our cefazolin, our ANSEF, our, our kind of bread and butter situation. Now, when you get down to dosing, I think this is something that you might see some variation. We're talking weight-based dosing here. We want to make sure we're getting these patients adequately treated based on their weights. Typical cutoffs that you'll see, anything less than 120 kilograms, we're, we're using two grams. Uh, you might see some lower cutoffs. Some patients, some people I know like to go with less than 80 kilograms. They're using a one gram dose. And then for those larger patients, greater than 120 kilos, really big, big doses is three grams of cefazolin. I think this is another area where uh, different guidelines kind of have different breakpoints. I've seen people refer to like the ATLS guidelines, which uses actually a little bit of a lower dosing cutoff ranges. ATLS is less than 50. We're going to use a gram, 50 to 100. We're using two grams and greater than 100. We're using three grams. So another area where there's definitely some variation, but we want to make sure that we're kind of adequately dosing these patients. In a prior center that I worked, it was always one gram of ANSEF, one gram of ANSEF. <laughs> so the data supports using the higher doses. So I think it's a big push uh, to make in any trauma center, really maybe even more so in our community centers that might not see these as often, making sure that we're, we're adequately dosing our patients. They probably use that same one gram because the resistance rates back in the 60s and 70s were, were not as bad. Yeah, yeah. I think that definitely uh, might be part of it. A patient comes in and say, oh, my grandma was allergic to penicillin. And I usually see this come up quite often where they just don't want a beta-lactam. What's your go-to then if you don't have, if, if you have to switch over to something else? Yeah, I mean, well, I think you bring up a good point. I mean, here in the South Bronx, it seems like everyone's got a penicillin allergy, <laughs> but no one knows what it is or when it happened. They were just told that as they were, when they were a kid. So I think this is another area that we could certainly be involved in, making sure we're educating our providers about the, the, the low cross-reactivity, cross-hypersensitivity between a true penicillin allergy and our ANSEF or maybe some of our third-generation cephalosporins as we go into them. Your team is, you're telling me, is, is adamant against beta-lactams. I think it's pretty good consensus that clindamycin is, is definitely an option. Most of the guidelines are kind of pushing that direction. But again, using, using big doses, 900 milligrams, is, is typically what you'll see for those grade one and twos. And it comes up so often. I tell people, you you probably don't have an allergy, but they just say, I don't want to have to go down that route and I, I go with the Clinda. But most of the time, I think that if we are doing a great job and we have the time, we can go ahead and solve a problem that can go throughout their entire stay. Because now I don't know how many times you've seen it, but the whole when people patients get clindamycin for multiple days, they end up getting C. diff or they end up having some type of, you know, megacolon. That becomes a huge issue that we could have yeah. prevented 
the very first 20 minutes of this patient's presentation. So I try my best to get that off board, but it is amazing how much money, how much time and how many patient oriented outcomes you can, you can prevent by getting a simple, accurate history. And then another component that I probably should do a better job at is going back and looking to see, have this patient recently been to my facility or any other facility and already colonized with MRSA? So if, I, if that was the case, do we just use clindamycin for that or do we use something else? Yeah, so I think I think we bring up another good point here. I mean, MRSA is definitely something that, that we're concerned about. Uh, some of the older literature does show that some of these patients do end up with MRSA infections. Uh, I think my site in these patients, if we know they're colonized in MRSA, we're, we're going to Vanco on these ones. Uh, I would say local. look at your local resistance patterns. At my shop, clindamycin and MRSA is just a no-go. Our resistance is super high. Uh, so we're, we're pushing for vancomycin in these patients. Absolutely. And, and, and I, I would agree. If I know, that's a really cool intervention too. Like I, tell, I tell pharmacists that I train now, I say, hey, if you want to look cool in front of your, your orthodox or your, your trauma attending, if you can go and say, hey, this patient has a past, past medical history that's significant with MRSA colonization, I actually think we should upgrade to using vancomycin. That makes you like a superstar. There's a few things that's like really cool from a pharmacist, but if you can go back, find that information, provide it to the team, that's a, that's a super recommendation there. That's a, that's, a, that's a pharmacy pearl right there. All right. So great one and great twos are pretty pretty cool. We can give them Ansef, we can give them Clinda if they absolutely can't get and if that's the case, if they have MRSA colonization, we can do vancomycin as well. But let's get to the, the star of the show here, the grade three fractures. Like, should we just give gent or should, is there other agents that we can give to treat the grade three open fractures? This is something that I made a big push for a change here at my shop uh, to get away from that gent. Now, when we, when we look at our antibiograms, our gent coverage is great. We're covering all the gram negatives with Jen. And, and so we say, well, what's, what's the problem here? If we throw it back a little bit, we, we already talked about kind of adequate dosing, but the, the real big bread and butter is timing of these antibiotics. And I think this is what I use to kind of make the switch here in my shop. Um, and people really bought into, especially when we showed them the data and our own uh, in-hospital data as well. Gentamycin, we already, we already talked about making at the bedside, getting consulted, this is a weight-based dosing that's got to go up to most IV rooms to be prepared, patient-specific. I don't know about you. Uh, we don't have a tube system either here at my shop. I don't know who's running gentamicin up and down for every <laughs> trauma that comes in, but I'll tell you that, that that antibiotic is not getting into patients in a quick time. And when we looked at our older data, again, throwing it back to the 80s, we found that timing of antibiotic administration is super, super important. Uh, there's some studies that showed Lack and colleagues in 2015 specifically, they looked at antibiotics for grade these grade threes, and they found that if you gave antibiotics in less than 60 minutes, we had about six seven percent infection rate. And those patients that got antibiotics beyond 90 minutes had about a 28 percent infection. Oh, wow! Rate. Yeah, so we looked at our data here at our shop, and our gentamicin administration was closer to the three hour mark. <laughs> wow! For these patients. And that's the thing that most people don't want to talk about. Uh, just because you push a button in your 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 Epic or CERN or whatever system you use doesn't equal patient getting that antibiotic within an adequate period of time. And usually 
pharmacy, we can say, you know, hey, we, we can help out with that. But it takes so much time away from the other activities we can be involved in. And from a system standpoint, it's just not sustainable to try to give these patients gent because somebody in the 70s did it. That's the only only reason why. I think it's amazing that you actually looked at your shop and seen that. And for me, when I came to uh, MUSC, we had Cefraxone as IV push already. So I, not only did it not have to come from Central Pharmacy, I could get it pushed in less than three minutes. Like it was simple. Uh, so and it covered gram negatives very well. So I think this is another thing that came came out. There's actually a study that looked at Rodriguez and colleagues in 2014. They reported like a decreased use in aminoglycosides and glycopeptide antibodies with no increase in soft tissue infection. So we basically just shown that, OK, with real data, with evidence based practice versus emotion based practice that. <laughs> We can actually treat these patients adequately with something that's easier, not just for me, that's safe for the patient. So I thought that was that was pretty cool. But now that we we know we can use cetraxone instead of gentamicin, what happens if they if their great grandma had a beta lactam allergy and they refuse to take a beta lactam, even a cephalosporin? Uh, what's your go to then? Because this is an interesting thing that comes up every once in a while. Yeah, and that, it, you're definitely kind of getting into that that unique patient population here. Uh, again, making the push for verifying those allergies, making sure we're 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 all on board here. Uh, but we still got to cover those those gram negatives. Uh, you want to avoid gent. Uh, my shop has kind of gone to a clindamycin plus levofloxacin situation. Uh, I know fluoroquinolones are kind of a red button topic to begin with. Oh, yeah. And, uh, we could get into that in a whole, uh, whole nother, uh, discussion, I think. Uh, but, uh, there is literature to support that. Uh, a lot of the guidelines out there kind of have gone in that direction as well. Um, so yeah, using Clinda and Levo is, is, is our next line for those great. Yeah, that's the another unique situation where I think pharmacists out there, whoever's listening, you can be a rock star by saying that, Oh, if you can't use this, this is like the next line agent we can use. And that's a component that we can think of. So now that we went through the generic, you know, grade one, grade two, grade three, there are some additional caveats that usually come on and you got to add some coverage for contamination with soil or fecal material. So once you get that, staying with the premise of using, you know, staying away from gent, what's your go-to then for, for these patients? Yeah. So for soil and fecal, uh, we're talking mainly about clostridia, anaerobes, right? Mm -hmm. So my go-to here is ceftriaxone and flagell. This has kind of been our go-to here in the Bronx. I mean, we, we, we don't have those farming injuries that might happen out, out in the, the middle of the country. Uh, <laughs> there's not too many farms here in the South Bronx, I don't think. Uh, but you never know what might come in. We definitely have dirty injuries. We got some scooter accidents on the streets here <laughs> in the city. Uh, that's been a big one this past year. So those really dirty wounds that we might be worried about anaerobes, we're added on flagell for those patients. Perfect. So we got, we got that. And then are you just using levos, levofluxin steel as your agent, if they have a beta lactam allergy and add non-flagell? Yeah, that's been our go-to here at, at my shop. So we got grade one, grade two, grade three, some soil contamination. Another interesting thing that happened for me, cause I'm sitting right here, like literally on the beach. I'm sitting here like tons of lakes, tons of oil, tons, tons of water around. So is there any additional coverage we need for like standing water? Yeah, standing water, definitely something that uh, I think you you down on the beach uh, need to be worried about. 
usually in these patients now we're looking to cover for like pseudomonas, some Vibrio species. Uh, we're getting into some unique and uh, unique bugs here with that. Uh, these patients, a lot of times they go in uh, broader spectrum here to cover that pseudomonas. We're talking Zosin. We're talking Doxy for the Vibrio. Uh, that's that's pretty much our, our our recommendation here. I know some people go with Cefepime too, the pseudomonas. Uh, so I think that's also an option. Perfect. And then since we're, we're staying with the, the same theme here with, with, with a beta-lactam allergy, if you got all this going on, it, it's, it's starting to get really tricky here. What's going to be your agent with all of these things going on with a severe beta-lactam allergy? Yeah, we're talking uh, at our shop going with Levo and Fladril here for those, those kind of beta-lactam allergic grade three water infections. All right. So guys, pause the show. Everything you're doing, we're getting ready to give you the most important medication in the history of trauma. The most important medication, I say it again, this is going to be groundbreaking. We're Get talking about out. tetanus. Tetanus, <laughs> number one. Find the number trauma. one most important medication in trauma. It, well, if you, if you make it based off the intensity that the trauma team wants that tetanus in the patient. <laughs> They are adamant. I have never seen anything like it, but I've been in, in two different level one centers now. Man, the amount of tetanus that we go through, keeping those Pixis machines stocked is, is something else. I'm going to tell you guys a little secret. I actually keep like one or two tetanus in my pocket every time I hear a, a trauma activation. So I'm not walking around for you admin out there warming up the, warming up the tetanus, but every time I get a trauma <laughs> activation, I slide one I'm or two of them up. in my pocket. But what's the caveat for this? Because I think there's a certain number of years that we categorize whether or not we should give uh, an update that tetanus vaccine. I think what you're getting at here is for those breakpoints between like clean wounds or those really dirty wounds. So for those clean wounds, we usually say anything within 10 years, you're good. Mm -hmm. uh, for those dirty wounds, we're going to bring that down a little bit to about five years. Uh, I don't know about you. A lot of my patients we talk to, they just don't know. Yep. I Nothing do not know. I don't even know what you're talking about. And now we just, uh, we just slot that tetanus right into their, their, their right delt. That's, that's usually my go-to. Like, well, in. today is, is your lucky day. I'm giving you yep. the most important medication in trauma history. We really went through a lot of that. And just to summarize that for your great ones, depending on what shop you're at and what um, what guidelines you're going off of, you're going to give anywhere from two to three grams, and there's some lower cutoff ranges anywhere from 80 to 50 that some places may recommend giving give one gram. Um, your beta-lactam allergy for great one and twos is going to be clindamycin 900 milligrams. And if you have a known MRSA colonization, it's going to be vancomycin. Loading them and then get your pharmacy to dose. Uh, moving forward to our grade threes, ceftriaxone is now dethroned gentamicin. So bye-bye gent. You know, you know, the scratch the gent, let's get Rosephim for the open leg. You know, that's what we're doing yeah. from that. Cool thing, if you have a beta-lactam allergy, we're looking at clindamycin plus levofloxacin. And then the add-on for contamination with soil or fecal matter, we're talking about ceftriaxone plus flagell or levofloxacin plus flagell. And lastly, uh, looking at contamination with sand and water, we're looking at uh, pseudomonal coverage with, with zosin or cefepime. And then if they have an allergy, Levofloxacin and flagell. And of course, guys, 10 years for a clean room tetanus, five years for a dirty room tetanus. So before I had want to head out, this is a, a ED pharmacy show. So I wanted to show us some love here. Is there any data out there that says that EM form D's in particular 
involvement with in trauma actually help with antibiotic selection? Is there anything out there that's been published? Oh, ab- absolutely. Uh, I think our our ED pharmacy colleagues are always looking for these types of studies. This is like our bread and butter, right? Mm-hmm. Time to time to medication administration uh, and, and choice of agents, everything like that. This fits in perfectly. So uh, Harvey and colleagues in 2018 uh, published an awesome study looking just at this in a, the Journal of Emergency Medicine, uh, where they looked at ED pharmacist impact on time to antibiotics. Uh, and guess what they found? They found that before uh, before the guideline recommendations uh, with having a pharmacist at the bedside, they went from 81% uh, to 41% uh, as far as time to door to antibiotics. They dropped that to 14 minutes. Man, I, I can't even I can't even get a, a turkey sandwich that fast. And you're <laughs> saying we can get antibiotics into a patient. So again, it's another another way that you know we we go from almost half of the time the antibiotics being right to more than three fourths of the time the antibiotics being correct with our pharmacies there. And again, median doors for antibiotic time of 14 minutes. You may not be able to get a CT that fast. And all my ED, you know, physician colleagues know. That's like their number one intervention, the donut of truth. And so donut if you're telling me I can get antibiotics in you, and not only antibiotics, but the right antibiotic in you in 14 minutes, that's going to be be phenomenal. Well, I definitely, I thank you for, you know, all your support on, on Twitter, all your support with everything we're doing here. Do you have any final thoughts uh, or final words for the audience as we get ready to close out? Always uh, look to bring, uh, bring this data to, to the administration. Uh, this is kind of what helped c- get this protocol in place here at my shop. Uh, I, I sit on the trauma operations committee. This was this was a no brainer. Once I showed them how long it was taken to get that gent in. If if you're worried about gram negative infections in these patients, well, waiting three hours for a dose isn't 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 doing the job. We want these patients treated ASAP. We got ANCEF. We got ceftriaxone sitting right in the trauma bay pixis machine. Easy easy to go. IV push, just like you said, uh, this is this is a no-brainer. Uh, if you could put the data in front of the people, you can make it happen. Absolutely. Well, again, we definitely appreciate you for coming on the show. This is a, a really cool episode because I think it's something that we all go through, but no one's really touched on uh, a significant amount. And I, I really appreciate adding the managerial component to this so our audience can know that whether you're practicing at the bedside or you're working in a more of an administrative role, uh, this type of information and data can really help help you guys. So uh, get ready, guys, for the Empower Conference that's going to be in, in, in May. I'm sorry, in March of next year. Uh, I sent out some surveys on Twitter. I sent it out to a few different places. So definitely respond to that and let me know. What do you want to hear? Who do you want to hear? And do you want to hang out together? So definitely check out that. Uh, if you have any questions, find me on Twitter at farmd underscore in the ED. Uh, definitely click and subscribe to our podcast on on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and all of those avenues because it really helps us out. And we want to put this out there for more people. We want to have the number one pharmacy podcast in the world. So as I always say, guys, you don't have to work in the ED. You don't have to be a pharmacist, but everything you do, make sure you farm so hard. Yeah, I see ortho at the desk, scratching on their head. But scratch the gentlest gyro septum for that open leg. I don't. So this episode was sponsored by our partner, QXMD. QXMD builds mobile solutions that drive evidence-based medicine and clinical practice. Check out Read for easy access to research personalized for you and Calculate for over 500 easy-to-use decision support tools. 
Try them out today at qxmd.com slash apps. Again, that is qxmd.com slash apps.